Well, here we are. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Charlie, and welcome to the All Portable Discussion Zone. This is a bi-weekly live stream all about amateur radio portable ops. Uh, with us today are our two co-hosts, Brian, W7JET, and Dan, KC7MSU. And I'm pleased uh, to introduce you to uh, this evening's guest, Tracy, VE3TWM. And we'll, we'll get talking to Tracy here a little bit. He's a great uh, portable ops guy, uh, not soda or poda, or maybe he's done a little bit. We don't know. We'll find out. But he definitely knows uh, a good deal about portable ops, so we're looking forward to having him. Of course, uh, in the chat room, we've got uh, regular guys uh, out there to uh, ask questions and to make comments, and we appreciate you guys being in there. And so uh, we have a good uh, show tonight lined up, so let's go ahead and uh, do the round robin here. Let me just start with myself today, and I'll just say that over the last few little bit, we've uh, had some fun things. Sandy and I went out and did a uh, Summits on the Air trifecta uh, on Friday. We went up and did three summits, and they were all bonus summits out, in, out up north of Tucson in the uh, 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 Mount Lemon area. So 39 points in one trip, but boy, we do feel it, man. We're, we're, we're bushed, but... Uh, that's what we had going on. We have a backpacking trip coming up, Sandy and I do, into into California here in a couple weeks, a week or two, and uh, we'll be doing some more summits on the air, and we'll uh, put that out on video as well. But uh, just having a good time. The summer's here, and so enjoying it. So what about you, Brian? What's going on? So let's see. Yesterday had the uh, the build party at the house for uh, prep for field day, getting some of the uh, the new equipment ready to go for the club. So we're, um, we're trying to get uh, two... Uh, uniform station set up that we can set up so anybody can come up and work and not have to worry about bringing gear and it's something that'll be familiar that won't require a lot of explanation that we can that we can do some uh, some pre-training on so people can just jump right into it and go without um, without feeling intimidated by using somebody else's equipment because there's always that apprehension when you're going to use somebody else's radio you're, you're afraid to, to touch the wrong thing or break it because you know obviously these things aren't cheap and for some people you know $400 radio is a big deal for others it's not and uh, so we, we got that going I did a little uh, soda this last week I went up on June 1st to ring in the um, the summer bonus season here and activated uh, Humboldt Mountain which was a good time I did uh, f uh, two meters and 440 and then um, the monsoon actually showed up and I decided it was a good idea to get off the hill as the the thunder was crashing so never went on 20 meters for those who were waiting. Sorry about that, but didn't want to find out uh, how conductive I was. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, Dan, what's going on? Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, see, you've been working with uh, uh, our field day crew, Brian and Charlie and a few others on uh, getting ready for field day. So uh, getting the computers ready for the computer logging along with the network. And uh, we worked on some... Uh, solar panel uh, stuff yesterday, getting all the cabling and all that put together. So this will be the first year that um, most of us are just gonna be operating uh, uh, generator quietly. So it'll be nice to uh, see how that goes uh, this year. Uh, what else? Uh, been doing quite a bit of chasing. I haven't been on a summit in a while, but uh, got to do some chasing. So I chased uh, Charlie and Sandy and Brian this week. So uh, starting to rack up a few extra chaser points which is kind of nice all right and then now here's our guest tracy uh, what you been up to well it's uh, it's been very stressful at work so i've been putting in extra hours there which has been eating up uh, some of my ham radio time 
Um, I am, uh, I've, I've had three camping trips uh, canceled uh, so far this year. Here in Ontario, Canada, we have had a rough ride with uh, the COVID stuff and uh, the government shut down all the campsites. So I had three separate <laughs> reservations, uh, you know, April, May, June are all, all canceled. Uh, I'm hoping that the one uh, for field day stays uh, stays good. Uh, but uh, but that, that's put me behind with my video production schedule. I try to get out one a month. That's that's about what I can do. Um, so I'm working, I'm in the middle right now of one, I'm working on evaluating a high-end Fed. Uh, this is an end Fed uh, 80 through 10 meter uh, antenna, which is a very nice one. Uh, so I'm midway through that one. And uh, Tim, November 9, Sierra Alpha one, Bravo uh, sent field day stays something I can use as good. Field day. Uh, but uh, but that, that's put me behind with my video square. I'm really looking forward to trying that to see if it'll help me work some West Coast stations uh, uh, field day. So that's that's the scoop with me currently, Charlie. Okay, cool. Sounds like uh, the there people are reporting that there's some sort of an audio problem uh, in. Uh, uh, Brian said they, there was an echo, and then with the you uh, said the guess is kind of a little strange. Um, not quite sure what to do about that because I do hear it when I when I listen when I play the uh, YouTube channel, uh, but I, I mean I'm not hearing it, so I don't I don't know what uh, <laughs> uh, field day. So that's, that's uh, maybe, maybe just outbound uh, onto YouTube, perhaps is where the issue is. It's possible. I. Uh, I, I guess we could drop and re restart if you guys think we, that would help, but I don't know that it would. Okay, cool. It sounds like that solved it. Uh, is that right, guys? Looks like it did. That's cool. the, uh, That's what the uh, the chat seems to say. Yeah, good. Uh, thank you for the feedback, by the way, chat. All right, uh, Tracy, you're back, and that seemed to fix the problem. So nice. I, all I got to do now is make sure I can let you sh do your screen. And so let's uh, take it from the top again. <laughs> <laughs> all right oops let's get rid of that can you see okay then yeah all right yep well first off i'd like to ch thank charlie uh november julie at seven victor for giving me this uh, opportunity this is my first ever live stream uh and uh you know what I'm, I'm very honored to be here and i'm gonna do my best for you folks thank you My name is Tracy and I am VE3TWM. I've been a licensed amateur radio operator since 1991, but have had a lifelong fascination with radio. A quick note, I'm not an electrical, electronic or radio engineer. I'm just a regular ham who like you has a passion for radio. I've got a modest YouTube channel, which focuses on taking ham radio gear outdoors. Today's presentation is going to focus on how I do HF Portable and hopefully provide you with some tips gained through my own experience that you didn't previously know. I'll take a minute or two to give you a bit of background on myself, then dive right into HF Portable. Back in 2011, I found myself enjoying ham radio oriented YouTube videos and was learning quite a bit from them. I began to think about how I might contribute something of value to the community. As I thought about what I could share, my first inclination was that I really didn't know anything that other operators didn't already know. 
the one thing I did settle on was how I had used telescopic fiberglass poles as antenna supports. I couldn't find anything on YouTube in regard to this topic. So I filmed and published my very first video entitled Using Fiberglass Poles for HF Portable Operation. Being a total newcomer to video editing and publishing, it was a complete hack job. Regardless, I was amazed at how many people watched it and gave me positive comments. To date, that video has garnered more than 100,000 views, a number that still amazes me. Well, that was it. I realized I might have something to offer the ham radio world after all. A question for you, Tracy, right here. Yes, sir. Why do you think that is that, uh, that at this point, uh, in retrospect, uh, getting so many views? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought other than there are people who have trouble getting antennas up in trees. And, uh, the, the, you know, it's, uh, it, and some people don't even have trees that they can throw antennas into. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, there are lots of locations where you just don't have access to that. Yeah, there's a lot of people who really, I guess, because by the, maybe they don't have people that would show them or they don't have a lot of resources to know. There's just a lot of people who just don't know how to do, I mean, the how-to videos are just great, you know. Uh, just, throw, you know, when you throw up and you, and you talk about the antenna mass, I think a lot of people are really interested because they don't they don't a lot there's so many new people in the hobby they just don't know <laughs> yeah yeah very true cool you know and, and yeah and i'm going to come back to this point in a bit but uh it's amazing you know as, as a group we know a lot sometimes we think we don't know very much when in fact we know a lot more about one particular thing than exactly. the guy standing right next to us exactly after releasing a number of follow-up videos, guys, I've, uh, I just want to know, when, I, when you're looking at my screen, do you see the, uh, the, the, the uh, shots of the different, of you guys' uh, video yes. there or not? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I can see it on screen so when somebody's talking to me, I can recognize it. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just going to do this. After releasing a number of follow-up videos, I renamed my YouTube channel Outdoors on the Air. There were several factors that influenced my decision to go with that name. I live on a small suburban lot. I have a 33-foot street frontage and 113 feet of lot depth. In addition to having a small lot, I have a number of tall trees in the backyard with lots of low-hanging branches that do not allow for the erection of a good HF antenna up high and in the clear. The only way I can experience what it's like to operate with such an antenna is to go out to a park and set one up. Maybe by showing others my portable operations, I could help people who face similar challenges at home. So do you now back up on the, do you back up right onto like a uh, forest land there? Tracy, it's a ravine, uh, so it's not it's not really a forest. There are lots of tall trees back there, um, but it's it, there's a creek that runs in between, and on the other side of the creek are more homes. So in the uh, middle of suburbia here. So okay. sadly, if it was just forest that went on forever, oh, I, I could have all kinds of fun with that. But yeah, it only goes back. Yeah, you know, and 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 one of the interesting um, logistical factors with my situation is that the neighbors are always watching, and you got some <laughs> neighbors who yeah. are a little bit zealous about anybody doing anything that they view as disturbing the natural environment. 
So, um, I have a DK5ONV. I'm not quite sure. I don't know if you recognize that call, but uh, he says Tracy is the person who made me become more interested in portable DX. So, that's cool. So, wow. well, yeah. thank you for that. Thank you very much. You know what? You know, guys, I, I don't take myself too seriously, but when I hear comments like that, it sure makes it all worthwhile. I mean, I put a lot of work into my videos. Uh, every single video, I, I, I sat down and figured it out a while ago and I kind of surprised myself. I put a minimum of 10 hours worth of work into every video that I do. And oftentimes that doesn't include travel time, uh, setup time, um, and research time. So it's always gratifying when I get comments like that. Thank you very much. Yeah, let me just add, Tracy, I would have to say that I, it shows, uh, you know, I've, I see a lot of different videos and it shows that you really put a lot of time and effort into your videos. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Charlie. Now let's talk about noise. Most modern suburban ham shacks feature high noise levels produced by a plethora of household devices. In my own case, even though I use line isolators to help mitigate this issue, I often face a 9S unit noise level on 80 meters. Set up a station far from suburbia and you'll experience the pleasure of operating with noise levels as low as 1S unit. This makes an HF portable station potentially more effective than a modest home-based station, especially on the lower bands. I also took into consideration that many of our fellow hams are not in good health or are on the road to losing the decent state of well-being they currently possess. What could I do to encourage people like this to continue to embrace this great hobby of ours, but get them out of their shack chairs? Could I help motivate some of these folks to become more active, get some fresh air and exercise, and yet still enjoy the best ham radio has to offer? Next up, we don't have enough young hams in our ranks. Many of those people who could be attracted to our hobby don't want to be chained to a basement desk and chair as they partake in ham radio. Could the prospect of outdoor operations make this great pastime more appealing to them? Finally, we can't overlook the fact that ham radio can still play a vital role in the aftermath of natural disasters like earthquakes and hurricanes. Every person who gains a measure of experience setting up and operating a portable two-way radio station learns the basics of what is necessary to provide beneficial assistance if the situation calls for it. Perhaps publishing videos coupling the hobby we love with outdoor activity could motivate people to get out and try it for themselves. I decided my YouTube channel's mission statement would be to encourage people to get outdoors and get on the air with HF Portable. My intention is to show people that operating a temporary station outside is fun, rewarding, and educational. Enough about me. Let's get into the topic of HF Portable. For those that may not be familiar with the terminology, let's define HF Portable. HF, of course. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick. Uh, back, I, I, I just put in the chat too. I really like your point about the uh, noise floor. 
there are so many people who have really, <laughs> really bad conditions, like, or only they live in an apartment. And so that, I mean, there are, you know, you, you laid out several great reasons to go portable, but that's a great one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You hear it all the time. I listen to uh, an 80 meter net here uh, on a daily basis. I'm toiling away in the home office uh, and, uh, and they're all complaining about, you know, the neighbor put in a plasma TV next door or something else is going on and, and, you know, they can't hear stations under S eight or S nine. Yeah, for sure. Enough about me. Let's get into the topic of HF portable. For those that may not be familiar with the terminology, let's define it. HF of course refers to high frequency or operating with on any of the HF bands from 160 meters to 10 meters. We often consider the word portable to mean handheld operation, but in this case, I am referring more to a tabletop setup. When I say portable, I am referring to setting up a temporary station someplace where there are no facilities to easily accommodate such a station. The word portable is used to describe a station which can be set up, operated, torn down, and moved elsewhere fairly quickly. There are many ways to get active in HF portable. Each of these has their own unique appeal. You could install an HF rig in your vehicle, drive to a remote location, and operate out of your car. You could take your gear to a local park, set up a low to the ground antenna, and run the operation from a picnic table. After a couple of hours, pack it down and you're done. My own personal favorite, and the one I'm going to position to you today, is to rent a campsite and set up a station that you can run for hours, have a nice campfire, sleep there, wake up and operate some more without having to set up all over again. While I am going to give you some helpful tips to mix camping and ham radio, many of the tips I will give are applicable to other portable HF situations. So stay tuned, even if you're not a camper. Though many of you have a ton of knowledge in regard to radios and antennas, I'll tell you what I use and why I use it. I'm not going to tell you why you should get exactly what I have. Your gear is a personal decision, and choosing it is a major part of the fun of ham radio. What I will do is explain why I have each piece of gear so you can follow my logic and consider applying it to your own decisions. First up, let's start with the transceivers. Yes, that's a plural. You do not need two transceivers, at least to start. But I would recommend that you consider owning two that you can take on your portable outings. This is why. The US Navy SEALs have a motto. Two is one, one is none. If you go to all the trouble to collect your gear, pack it up, take it to the site, Put up your antenna and turn on your rig only to find your beloved portable radio is not functioning. All your hard work has been wasted. By taking a second rig, you have given yourself a backup plan. And by the way, this thinking is true for your other gear too. Maybe I'm an extremist, but I also take spare microphones, coaxial cable, and even antennas. By taking all this gear, when I go HF portable, I know I am going to be operating. You're probably now figuring out one big reason I like to go camping when I set up HF Portable. 
I've got a lot of gear to take along, so I might as well pack a little extra and settle in when I get there. I love that. That's, you know what, <laughs> I, especially when I have drive ups or I'm, I'm doing something, you know, that I can be close to the car. I throw in all kinds of stuff that I don't, that I, uh, you know, whether I need it or not, you know, backups on backups. It's good. It's good to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Now that we have that out of the way, I have two HF transceivers I will take with me. The first one is my Yesu FT897D. If you're not familiar with the 897, it's a 100 watt rig that covers from 160 meters to 70 centimeters into all modes. While the 897 is a good rig, it certainly pales in comparison with more modern rigs like the Yesu FT991A, the successor to the 897 in Yesu's line. But where the 897 shines is in its power consumption on receive. The 897 draws about 600 milliamps in receive mode. This is less than half what the 991A draws. You'll notice I am referring to how much the rig draws when receiving. Why would I worry about that rather than how much it draws when transmitting? Here's the reason. Even if you are in a contest situation where you are transmitting a lot, the chances are excellent the rig will be in receive mode far more than it will be in transmit mode. The lower the amps a receiver draws, the longer your battery life will be. We'll talk more about batteries in a moment. Back to the 897. In addition to the relatively low current draw on receive, as previously stated, the 897 provides access to the VHF and UHF bands. It's easy to see how this capability could be useful in an emergency situation. When I do operate HF portable with the 897, I run it at 20 watts. I know what many of you are thinking at my mention of that. Why in God's name would I only run 20 watts from a rig capable of 100? Here's why. Let's consider a QRP radio that puts out five watts. If I wanted to increase reception of my signal at the receiving station's end by one S unit, I would need to quadruple my output power, presuming I am continuing to use the same antenna system. Of course, quadrupling a five watt signal gives me 20 watts. If I want to increase my signal at the receiving station by another S unit, I would need to pump out 80 watts. That would put a serious drain on my battery and reduce my operating time significantly. In my estimation, bumping power up to 80 watts is not worth doing for a one S unit increase. I mentioned I take two rigs with me. The second portable rig in my stable is an ICOM IC703. This is a QRP rig that tops out at 10 watts RF output. It covers 160 to 6 meters in all modes. The 703 positively sips battery power with a current consumption on receive as low as 300 milliamps. No doubt some of you are wondering why I take a QRP rig along. 
Very simply put, I enjoy the challenge of operating QRP, and I really don't believe in the concept of running a 100-watt rig at QRP levels. It's just too darned easy to crank the power back up if at first you are not getting through. I have learned the conventional wisdom regarding QRP is wrong. It's important to note that a lot of people who have never operated QRP or have never operated QRP properly do not understand just how effective a QRP rig can be when paired up with a good antenna. I could do an entire presentation just on this misconception. Only on very rare occasions do I fail to make contacts running QRP. Okay, I got a question for you here. Yeah. So it says, uh, uh, do you consider yourself mostly a vehicle portable or backpack portable? Uh, I, I think I know the answer, but I'd let you, I'll let you answer it. Yeah, primarily uh, car camping is my forte, where you drive the car up to the campsite and uh, and set up there. I, I do backpacking. I, I, I have done backpacking. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of different <laughs> a backpacking uh, presentation, and you soda guys would know this very well. Uh, there's a whole lot more consideration. Anybody that's done any kind of backpacking, radio or otherwise, understands you have to be very cognizant of every ounce you're putting into your backpack. Uh, and, uh, and that's something you don't have to worry about with car camping. Yeah. But, but the beauty is, and the, and the reason I actually, one of the reasons anyway, that I brought you on is because soda is just this very small niche of what portable ops is all about. And, uh, you can really have a good time. Even par parks on the air is it's, it's growing it, but it's just a neat, I mean, portable ops has been around for a long time. Field day is portable ops. And, and uh, yeah. like you said, uh, you know, five watts out in the field is a great challenge to challenge yourself. And, and there's just so many different ways in which you can, you know, do portable ops. So, uh, yeah. Like Tracy was saying about, uh, you know, finding campsite somewhere and operating for a while and then, you know, have dinner and then go and operate some more if you want to. That's what's nice about that kind of uh you know, operation is, is that you can break up times that you're on the radio for, you know, when you expect different bands to come in or you, you know, somebody's going to be on a summit, you want to chase them and it's just nice and relaxing. So I, I'm sure looking is. forward to just camping somewhere and, and operating. Uh, you're going to love it, Dan. <laughs> you're going to love it. You'll notice that I use what are now considered old radios. And I'm kind of proud of that. I bought both radios on the used market and they both perform very well. You really don't need the latest and greatest to be successful with your portable operations. Many of you are CW ops, and this is an important consideration. CW ops have it even better than SSB ops as QRP CW only transceivers can be less expensive and work very well in the field. Speaking of CW, let's not forget that a 5-watt CW signal can get out as well as a 100-watt single sideband signal using the same antenna. While I cart along a 100-watt rig since I am a sideband op, those of you who intend to operate CW have no need for such high power. Of course, the rig is not 
actually the heart of your radio station. The power supply is. Presuming you will not have an electrical supply where you will be setting up, you'll need a battery of some sort. You have a few choices when choosing a battery for your portable ops. I'm going to limit my discussion to two of the most popular types. The first up is the new kit on the block, lithium iron phosphate. These batteries represent the effective state of the art where ham radio is concerned. They have two key characteristics that make them a compelling choice. They have a third characteristic that makes them somewhat less so. The two positives, longer operating time under high loads and light weight. The downside, compared to the next option, they are quite expensive. Your second choice, SLA batteries, also known as sealed lead acid. When compared to the lithium iron batteries, SLA batteries have two downsides and one very big upside. SLAs are very heavy and the operating time under high loads is not as long as the lithium irons. But, and this is a big but, they are cheap. For the record, I use SLAs. They're fine for what I do. Note that I never run more than 20 watts when HF portable. A 17 amp hour SLA battery will run my FT897D for more than four hours at 20 watts. And I have two of them. Eight hours of operating time is plenty for the trips I take. Notice I said I have two of them. I have a backup in case one fails. But you should know, if you really want to run 100 watts when portable, you'll want lithium iron phosphate. After the power supply, the antenna system is the absolute most critical part of your station. First, I make a point of using the term antenna system. You must take into consideration the coaxial cable, any devices inserted into the cable like antenna tuners and line isolators and the antenna itself. It's all part of your antenna system and the quality of each of these components will heavily factor into your success or lack thereof. As discussed before, and you're probably tired of me saying this, take backups. That means take two antennas, two runs of coax, and extra dual SO239 barrel connectors. Not sure how much coax you'll need to get from the feed point of the antenna to the rig? Take extra. You're making a significant effort to get out there and you have high hopes of a successful outing. Don't let a bad piece of gear make you go home with your tail between your legs. Additionally, I urge you to test your coaxial cables before taking them into the field. If you have a dummy load, use that to conduct your tests. If you don't have a dummy load, consider getting one for this reason, if for nothing else. Check the connectors for cold solder joints. We often forget the coax cable is both fragile and a consumable. It needs to be replaced at some point. If you find a cable that is funky, throw it away immediately, or it may sneak along with you on a future outing. Okay, so your cable is good. 
Now we get to talk about some sacred cows. Guys, here's where I, I better put on my bulletproof vest. Remember <laughs> this. <laughs> Remember this. There's nothing particularly special radio-wise about a field radio deployment. The same rules that work well for your home station will apply to your portable station. When it comes to antennas, the one that works best is a full-sized half wave for the lowest band you want to operate on. Put up high and in the clear. Let that sink in. I am not a fan of low to the ground, loading coil whip antennas or those that need counterpoises. A lot of hams equate HF portable operation with these compromised and often expensive antennas. Yes, there are a lot of hams using these antennas for portable ops. Yes, they make some contacts. But I want you to think carefully about this. Have you ever heard someone say, this antenna really works. If I can hear them, I can work them. I cringe every time I hear that statement. It doesn't mean a thing. With a compromised antenna, you may be hearing some stations, but there are a whole bunch you are not hearing and therefore have no chance of working. To have an effective portable station, you must have an antenna that will approximate the performance of a typical 100 watt home station. You might laugh out loud at that, but think of those operators you have heard on the air that only have a dipole up at 20 feet. There's a ton of them. If I can put a dipole in the field at 30 feet and run with a 20 watt station, I am now running very close to the effectiveness of those 100 watt stations. In addition, due to the lower band noise in the field, I can be even more effective than those suburban base stations. But you cry out, it takes time to put up a dipole at 30 feet. Yes, it might. But I've got a suggestion that can reduce your antenna raising time significantly, as well as broaden your choice of operating locations. I'm a big fan of telescopic fiberglass poles. These are compact to transport, but are available in heights up to 72 feet. My own favorite is the spider beam 40 foot mast. Using this mast and the pole mount shown in this photo, I can have the midpoint of a dipole or far end of a Ned fed sloper up at 30 feet in less than 20 minutes and I'm slow. Why put the wire at 30 feet and not 40 feet if the mast is 40 feet high? Because the poles get thinner near the top and will bend. At 30 feet, the spider beam is still stiff enough to hold the wire up while standing straight and tall. You could put the feed pointer of the dipole or end or middle of the end fed a bit higher than 30 feet, say 33 or 34 feet, but that's not enough to make a noticeable difference in performance. Note the antennas I am referring to are full half-wave antennas. I don't use compromise antennas in the field. I will only erect full-size wire antennas for the bands I wish to operate, and those I will put up as high as I can get them. For example, if I want to operate 40, 20, and 15 meters, 
I will put up a 40 meter dipole or end fed antenna that is also resonant on the higher bands. Of course, if you plan to operate on 40 meters, you are going to erect a 66 foot wire and you'll need an appropriately sized site to do that. All right, got, got a comment or, well, there's a few comments. Uh, <laughs> I had an idea. <laughs> and questions. So, so one of them is uh, from Joseph, VE3GKT. Hey, Joe. Uh, I know Joe. Uh, good. Uh, does Tracy use modes other than the SSB? Does he know code? Has he tried the digital? Uh, had tried digital at home or in the field? Okay. First off, no dis disrespect intended to any other modes. I just don't do them. Uh, I, I learned Morse code when I got my ham radio license and, and never took it beyond that. I am not a code hater. I keep thinking one of these days, if I retire, I'll pick it up. I have not uh, gotten into digital at this point. Yeah, no problem. And then mostly it's just comments about agreeing. I mean, everything you've said has just been wonderful, and and uh, I think that it's very very beneficial to people. Even for me, I'm I'm I'm. Uh, it, it's reaffirming some of the things that I know, like like uh, you know, compromised antennas. I, I never I try to you know not use them as well, and and uh, you know, the antenna height and the and the fiberglass poles, all this stuff. People are agreeing with in the in the chat. So very good. Okay. All right, this brings us to the topic of choosing a campsite. Just before I get started on that though, let's spend a moment addressing why I like to go camping when I go HF portable. First up, my personal time is precious and scarce. When I'm not camping, I'm in family mode and interruptible. Even if I do get to sneak away for a few hours, I find it a bit disappointing to have to stop what I am doing and return home. If I've gone out for a morning of HF portable and I've told my wife I'll be back at one, that's always looming over my head. And I'm unable to focus 100% on the activity. If I go camping for the weekend, the time is mine as my wife does not like camping. I'll quickly add that when I go, I go with her blessing. Ideally, I go out on a Friday night, set up the campsite, spend Saturday morning setting up the antennas and then spend the rest of the day on the air. I know I can leave the radio gear set up overnight and on Sunday morning, pick right up where I left off. Having a campsite also means I have a piece of property that is all mine. Nobody is going to grouse at me for infringing on their space while I set up the antenna. Conversely, if I just show up at a park for a few hours of operating, I am at the mercy of the crowds that came before me as far as operating location goes. If you choose to go camping for your HF portable ops, here are a few tips I have learned along the way. First up, if at all possible, go and scout out the campsites at the park you are interested in before reserving a specific site. Doing so will give you the opportunity to see how friendly the site is to setting up an antenna. Is the site wide open or covered with low-hanging tree branch bramble that would make getting your wire up high an issue? Is the site long enough to allow you to set up a full half wave for the lowest band you intend to operate on without putting a big bend in the antenna? Does the site provide shade for the operating position if the weather is hot? Is there a natural wind break for the prevailing wind? 
is the site on a hill or down in a dip? Of course, the higher the site is above surrounding terrain, the better. Finally, you might be interested in having some privacy to avoid unwanted attention while setting up and operating your station. One thing I've started doing when booking a campsite is checking the descriptions on the online booking sites where available. When I am planning a trip to a park I've never been to before, and it's too far away to visit in advance, I look at the descriptions for size and some of the details I've mentioned. I also don't mind paying a few extra dollars for a site that is listed for large mobile homes. Even though I drive a car, those larger sites give me the space I want to get a longer wire up comfortably. Well, you got your gear all ready to roll. You've got your site booked. Now you have to deal with potentially the most important logistic of all. You will need shelter if you're camping or if you will just be out for most of the day before retreating to the world of modern conveniences. Unless you live in, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was should have caught yeah. you just before you started going into the shelter stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're talking about the camping and, and hanging out there, uh, you do you get much interaction with the public? Does anybody come over and talk to you? Um, what's, what's it like there in, uh, in your area with that? It can be. Um, last time I was up uh, doing field day, um, this wouldn't have been last year because last year all the campsites were closed here in Ontario. Uh, but the year before that, I had a steady stream of people through. You see, there was a great big group campsite next to my campsite. And uh, the, the, the uh, park I was in is famous for rock climbing. There's a, there's a limestone cliff. And I had rock climbers coming over, and I guess they were going back to their site and telling the others about what I was doing. So I had a steady stream <laughs> coming back and forth learning about ham radio. And that was nice. Yeah, so yeah, what, what's your philosophy on that? I mean, I, like, for example, there's a guy, I'm, I'm sure you know, uh, the uh, W-G-O-A-T. Uh, the mm -hmm. goat uh, Steve, uh, who he makes up cards and and uh, you know hands them out when you know and he's he he's a great ambassador for, for ham radio. Uh, some people yeah. I know uh, don't really like to interact much with people, but I think most people do. What what do you do? You know, it's it's a balance for me. Oftentimes when I go out, I'm out by myself, and that means I've got to keep eyes on everything, right? So if there's a group of people that come over and want to know about ham radio, I have to stop the radio stuff. And, and then focus in on those people until they leave. That means no radio during that time. Uh, and I, I don't mean to sound selfish, but um, you know, you, you've, got, you've got to be careful. You've got to be wary. I, I'm open to telling others about uh, ham radio. And, and believe me, I, I love to talk to folks about that and have no problem interacting with the public. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just a bit of a balance. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, I, I'd sure like to get back and operate the radio <laughs> if you can understand that. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, when I'm up on a summit and they get approached, I would love to spend more time talking to them and explaining in great detail what I'm doing. But my answers are usually pretty short because I'm usually in the middle of a pileup. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, same, same here. That's always the hard part is when you're, especially when you're doing code, because for me, I'm not quite at that level of proficiency to be able to do two things at once. So I have to stop what I'm doing and it's not easy to sit there and give the explanation. Some people are, you know, basic curious. And then you always get the, so what are you trying to talk to Mars? You know, all that stuff, yeah. um, which, which I'm sure every one of us has gotten that question. You, you talking to UFOs? Yeah, no, I, yeah. Yep, actually, I usually tell them, yep, they're going to be here any minute. So oh, I, uh, or, go ahead. Or, Dan, they, or they ask, Oh, do they still do that? I didn't realize that was still a thing, you know? Yeah. 
That's right. But I, and they, they show you their cell, their cell phone and say, well, couldn't you just use this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was, I was at Lake Erie um, filming uh, my most recent video uh, on the shore of Lake Erie. And this was in a provincial park. Um, and I had my 50 foot DX wire mast up supporting uh, an off center fed uh, 80 meter dipole. And a lady, two people, two people at different times came up to me and wanted to know why I had such a long fishing pole. <laughs> there, you there you go. This is right. Uh, okay. Uh, continue. Yep. Okay. You've got your gear all ready to roll. You've got your site booked. Now you have to deal with potentially the most important logistic of all. You will need shelter if you're camping or if you will just be out for most of the day before retreating to the world of modern conveniences. Unless you live in the desert, or if the weather report is extremely favorable, count on rain. Even if it doesn't rain, you might have to deal with hot, humid weather or high winds. The old Boy Scout motto is, of course, to be prepared. Just as we don't want to curtail an outdoors radio excursion due to equipment failure, why call it quits just because the weather isn't favorable? Pack clothing options and shelter gear for all possibilities. So let's run down the list of my go-to shelter choices. My primary shelter is a five-man tent. The inside ceiling height is almost six feet. A tall inside height makes all the difference, not just from a practical perspective, but from a psychological one. You won't feel as claustrophobic in a tall tent. The biggest issue you'll find with tall tents is that they may not stand up well in strong winds. To help mitigate this, use all the tie-down points provided on the tent fly and stake them out securely. My tent is not a cheap Walmart special, but you'd better believe I started out with one of those, then later upgraded. The tent is large enough for me to set up a wide table and still have room for a sleeping pad and my sleeping bag. If you do have a less expensive and less weather-worthy large tent and you're expecting rain, raise a tarp over the tent and make certain it's not resting on the tent if at all possible. This will take the bulk of the rain and drain it off to the sides, not giving it the chance to soak through the tent fly and roof. Also, put a large tarp on the inside floor of the tent in case water starts to pool inside. Make sure the tarp is a larger dimension than the tent floor. This will help keep the water from getting on top of the tarp. Packing a large sponge for mopping up is a good idea. Installing the inside tarp has the side benefit of keeping the tent floor clean as it will not be exposed to dirty, muddy footwear. After your portable operation, you'll find it's a lot easier to clean a tarp than a tent floor. Now, if the weather is going to be hot, you're not going to want to be inside a stuffy tent. You have multiple options for this situation. A tarp set up over your operating table will provide some relief from the baking sun, but still allows for refreshing breezes to come in. In this situation, try to find a place on your site with some natural shade and set up there. Be mindful the sun is moving, 
so it's best to choose a spot that will provide shade in the afternoon. My favorite warm weather shelter is my Eureka no bug zone. This is simply a tarp with mesh walls that can be pulled aside when there are no mosquitoes or black flies to contend with. When the bugs are an issue, keep the mesh walls in place and you can operate without QR mosquito. This shelter is much easier and faster to erect than a tarp. One final point about your shelter. Before choosing your shelter placement, see if you can discern where water will pool in the event of heavy rain. You'd be much better off to put your shelter on the high side of the slope rather than the bottom. If water pools in one spot on your site, you don't want to be stuck in that spot during or after a storm. Fantastic. You've packed your gear, reserved your site, and the station is now all set up. The antenna is working fine and your power supply and rig are working up to spec. Now to the operating. You've looked forward so much to this moment. You start to call CQ and no one's coming back. If you're running low power as I do, be patient and persistent. If necessary, change tactics. Rather than call CQ, I will look for nets to check into and special event stations to put some contacts into the log. They are listening and as long as you are using a good antenna up high, you'll probably be surprised at the positive signal reports that come back your way. I like to go out HF portable on weekends when a contest is running. I find this gives me the best chance of making contacts as there are a lot of stations calling CQ and listening for responses. During contests, I tend to spend my time on 40 meters and 15 meters. In general, I find 20 meters is just too crowded during the big contests. In 2019, when everyone was complaining about poor HF conditions, while camping on the CQ Worldwide Single Sideband DX Contest weekend, I ran five watts from a Yesu FT817 and made QRP contacts to South America, Europe, and Africa. It was pouring rain and cold outside, but I was happy and warm inside the tent, living my ham radio dream. I haven't mentioned this up to now, but here is a bit more background info on myself. I don't sleep well, and I haven't for many years. As a result, I often suffer from serious fatigue during the day. I have recurrent neck issues that come from sleeping in awkward positions. The pain that results often ends in migraine headaches. I experience all of these things while camping and operating HF portable. The bottom line, if I can participate in this kind of activity, chances are you can too. One final note. Earlier on, I mentioned that I realized I did know some things other hams could benefit from. No matter how long you have been a ham, you do too. Don't make the presumption that everyone else knows more than you do. Please consider sharing what you know with others, especially newcomers. Every time that happens, 
our great hobby moves forward just a little bit. Thank you very much for your kind attention. I truly appreciate it. My thanks again to Charlie and the guys at Red Summit RF for giving me this opportunity. Now it's your turn. Get out of the shack, get outdoors and get on the air. 73 from Tracy, VE3, TWM. Very good. Thank you, Tracy, for that presentation. Now let's uh, uh, move to a few questions, if there are any in the chat, as well as, uh, you know, uh, co-hosts and myself, uh, we may have a few as well. I know I have a couple, but uh, uh, Brian, Dan, do you guys have any? Yeah, I, uh, I have one. I noticed, uh, Tracy, it looked like uh, in one of your pole setups, it looks like you have a extra PVC pipe that you uh, use and you tether that down so it's vertical and then you slide your, your mass right inside there. Yes. So, okay. That's exactly right. I've actually got a couple of videos on my channel showing uh, how to how to create one essentially. Um, but it's uh, it, it's a beautiful little thing. It was it's not my idea. Just uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. Ron at the high end company in Holland tipped me off to this, um, and uh, it, it is essentially it's about four feet tall. It's a uh, it's a PVC pipe that's wide enough to accommodate whatever pole you're using. And then you just anchor four guys off the top of this thing to, uh, to, to pegs, which go into the soil. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, it, it allows you to raise the, uh, the mast virtually anywhere that you've got soil. Uh, I mean, you could even use it with concrete blocks if you don't have soil. Uh, really fast and easy way to deploy a mast. Nice. Hey, Tracy, so have you thought of, do you, I, I haven't been able to tell, do you use a hand mic all the time or do you use a headset with a foot, foot switch or a hand trigger? Good question, uh, Brian. Uh, I always use the hand mic and, and the chief, well, one of the a main reason for doing it is my YouTube videos. I want people to be able to hear the audio. So I've got the speaker cranked so that you can hear it when I'm recording with the camera. So always hand mics. And I, I don't know, I've never found that to be a problem. Okay. A uh, question from Vinny C. Uh, about how far from your campsite do you park? How far do you have to lug the equipment? Uh, most of the campsites that I have worked from are in, you know, mere feet uh, to, to get to the car and back. Uh, your car is almost always in, uh, in plain view right there. Uh, and and I, I know that there are some folks that live uh, in places where you have to really keep an eye on your stuff. I think I'm very fortunate to live in an area where this is less of an issue. Uh, so yeah, the campsites here in Ontario anyway, you, you park really close to where your, your tent and everything else is. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Meyer has a question too, but I just, let me add to that. You know, I um, know that there are some people out there that all they do is soda. Some people out there, all they do is parks on the air. I'm really happy to hear about this camp, you know, that, that you are kind of a, a car camping guy because I love car camping. I love car camping and taking the radio out and doing portable. This is just as fun for me as doing summits on the air, believe it or not. It, it's all fun. And so, and you've, I just, the, some of the tips that you've given in your video, your presentation here were just amazing. I'd like, like the tarp underneath the tent, you know, and the, as the, as the bottom at the bottom, I, I never thought of that. We always just take a broom and sweep it out, but that's a great idea. So very good. 
Um, let's see. So his his uh, what logging software do you use? Is is uh, his question? Uh, yeah, we, we were talking about this before we went live. <laughs> uh, it's the pen and paper method. Uh, you know, so so when I get back, yes, uh, it, it's old school. Uh, you know, the the pen the pencil never crashes. It sometimes breaks, and I have to sharpen it. Uh, but uh, but then I bring it back home and I put it into my uh, Mac Logger DX software. Okay. What do you think is your average? drive you know how many hours do you usually travel for most of the parks that uh, that you go to you know what I, i'm very fortunate in that there is a park about uh 25 30 minutes from home which is my home park if you will uh and uh and i've done quite a bit of stuff out there uh but they've been shut down entirely they're not doing any camping for the entire length of the covid and they used to do you know year round so i haven't been able to go there uh any 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 park, geez, um, I, I'm all over the map. Uh, like uh, so, so it's you know Lake Erie. Uh, last fall, it was at Lake Superior. Um, you know that was a that was a 12 hour drive. Uh, Lake Erie was two and a half hours. Um, there, aside from my home park, where if I want to just show off an antenna quickly, I'll do something up there. Uh, then I, I I could be you know two hours from home. I could be uh, a lot further than that. Sorry, I, I can't put a finer point on it for you, Dan. What, uh, uh, Tracy? What would you say if you if you could think of it? Maybe there isn't one that stands out, but what would you say your your most memorable portable ops uh, experience uh, was? Ah, oh, man, yes. Yeah, so, so there's there, there's a couple that come to mind for different reasons. Um, the first one is uh, I I did one 2015 CQ Worldwide. So here in Ontario. Uh, Late October is really iffy weather. It's rainy season and it's usually very cold. Um, I went up there, I bought a brand new uh, 27 amp hour SLA battery. Uh, I took it up to the site. Uh, we got everything all set up and I fired up the rig and received receiving beautifully. Go to hit the uh, the transmit on the uh, Yaesu FT817, the power just dropped and there was no power to the rig. Every time I keyed up the transmit, the battery had died on me and I didn't take a spare. So, so that, th that's the sort of thing that becomes very memorable and, and helps me because now I always take multiple batteries along as I alluded to in my presentation. Uh, then there was the one you know, that I, I put in my, uh, uh, in my presentation about working Africa, uh, you know, in, in South America on QRP uh, and at a time when everybody else is complaining. Uh, later that night, you didn't see it, but uh, that was on a Sunday night. It was that was the tail end of the uh, of the contest. I came down with, and it was even while I was operating, I came down with one of my migraines, and I had to leave the park. And I literally, all, all it was all I could do to pack up the expensive stuff, even though I was booked there for overnight, to uh, to pack up the expensive stuff uh, and drive home. I actually. Uh, too much information. I threw up a couple of times at the site. I was I was feeling so awful. Uh, but that that that's another memory. You know, it's like uh, victory and defeat all rolled into one. It wasn't really defeat. It was just you know uh, what I have to go through sometimes with this stuff. Uh, but that remains still when I look back at it. it, it there, there's a triumph uh, in an experience like that because even though I was feeling really rough. I was still carrying through with my portable ops and making some really great contacts. So I look back at something like that with a bit of pride. All right, cool. Uh, two more questions in the chat. Uh, one you may have already just answered. Uh, one was, 
Uh, do you do you, uh, recharge somehow, or do you just uh, take with the battery power that you need for the whole weekend? Yeah, so uh, I, I take enough batteries that I don't have to recharge. Uh, and I know solar is a big thing, and a lot of guys are into it. I haven't made that step yet because uh, I've, I've I've got like I've had SLA batteries. If you know the right people, they'll just give them to you. I my my primary SLA batteries came from a server room. Uh, they were backing up, uh, you know, servers, and uh, they, they had fallen to a point where they weren't good for that application anymore. But they're still perfectly fine for running my 897 in the field. And yeah. so, for no money out of pocket, I now have three 17 amp hour. Uh, SLA batteries. If I'm taking the uh, the 703 and planning on running with the 703, it doesn't need all that power. So, you know, I could run a 703 for a full weekend with a 12 amp hour SLA battery. I still have plenty of juice left. So I typically take a seven amp hour and a 12 amp hour uh, when I'm planning on running the 703. Very good. Uh, the other question is, uh, do you have any what what are your plans, if anything, for your your YouTube channel? Future plans for the channel? Anything different? Or? Boy, this yeah. So, and, and this is, I, I'm I I don't like to produce videos just to produce videos. This is this is a blessing and a curse. Uh, you know, I, I I won't just quickly bang off a video because I found something interesting. I want to put some time into it. I want to build a script. I want to I want to learn about it. Uh, and in order to, to put that kind of effort in, uh, you know, it takes time and it takes a little bit of inspiration. And at, there, there have been times over the past couple of years where I'm ask, literally asking myself, what am I going to do next? Because I, I don't know. I haven't got any ideas. And then something comes along and, and I get into it. So it's always a challenge. Uh, I, I'm going to continue my circuit of the Great Lakes. I wanted to activate all five of the Great Lakes. I've done Superior and Erie now. Uh, I'm hoping the border opens soon to, so I can go over and do Michigan. There's some folks over uh, in Michigan and Wisconsin that I'd love to do. Uh, uh, I'd love to get on camera and uh, spend uh, spend a video with. Uh, you know, there's stuff like uh, like Tim Ortiz, November 9 SAB, who sent me this uh, 15 meter half square. I love working with unusual antennas. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and that, that that to me is a whole lot of fun, and it's mentally stimulating uh so as long as that stuff continues to come down the pike for me then uh then i'll have some ammunition and i'll be able to keep on going yeah that's kind of uh, you almost kind of answered it i was wondering also what uh, one of my questions is what what kind of goals do you have set for yourself uh for the future as far as uh, portable ops goes and that's kind of you said there was a circuit you wanted to do but anything else you know it, <laughs> I, I mentioned it a little bit in my presentation. The vast majority of hams don't get QRP. They don't get it. They think it doesn't work. They think, you know, there's life's too short for QRP. Um, the other station's doing all the work. You guys have heard it all before. It's not true. Uh, I have, I, I'm, I'm almost to the point where I want to evangelize this. <laughs> to, to, help, to help people see that, you're wrong. That's the conventional wisdom. And it's just not true. You put QRP transceiver on a big antenna and an antenna that's, that's decent full size. You are going to be shocked. I, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I listened to an 80 meter Ontario based net every day and they had their 49th anniversary uh, number of months ago. And one of the controllers who came on, 
decided it would be fun to ask people to turn down their power every time they checked in. These guys who are used to running 500 watts, a kilowatt, every day, day in and day out on 80 meters to check into this net, were all of a sudden running 10 watts, 5 watts, 25 watts. And everybody seemed to be shocked at how well these stations were coming in because they were using their home station antennas. QRP works. Uh, I, I think uh, th that... and, and Without being a zealot, I think it's uh, th that's something I can work more on in the future. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Uh, Dan and Brian, jump right in here if you have any other questions. Well, yeah, just uh, Tracy's point about QRP. I mean, uh, if you just look at the number of POTUS stations, for example, that are uh, making contacts from park to park, I mean, that's you know generally you know on relatively level terrain, and there's plenty of that going on, and plenty of those guys are working. Uh, QRP, so it does in fact work very well. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I mean, other than field day, where we usually for the CW station, we usually run more than than fifty watts because we don't we don't need it. Um, I've never one time. I think one time I've done QRO for um, for portable ops, but everything I've done soda wise has been lately four watts or less because that little CW rig I have is all it does is four watts, and I've made plenty of. Plenty of contacts on that radio all over the place, and even even when the when the band conditions were better with regards to the the one the, the eight seventeen before I became proficient in soda or CW, excuse me, um, I made plenty of contacts on on twelve meters, good contacts. I had a summit to summit with Hawaii on twelve wow. meters when the band was nice. open. So it's it it it's not so much. It's all it's more about the antenna and how you set up, and really your your operating. Skill once you once you learn and you understand how everything works, you don't need a whole lot to do a whole lot. Yeah, and and, and you're when you're on a summit, you're sitting on a great big tower there too, right? It's uh, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so there was uh, another question. Uh, have you encountered any wildlife that uh, that you can recall that uh, was interesting? I mean, the question really is is asking about wild boar, and I don't know whether it was asked in jest or if it was a, a serious question, but do you even have wild boar up there? Yeah, not yet. I understand they're moving north, but we haven't. Uh, uh, was out at field day a couple years ago, had a skunk, had a raccoon, had fireflies. Um, I was out filming a video uh, in uh, a nearby park uh, uh, three or four years ago. A deer walked right behind the ca behind the camera. Wouldn't the damn thing was camera shy, so I wasn't able to get it on the video. Uh, so um, yeah, once in a while, I'm still looking for the big guy though. Uh, you know, the bear, uh, Sasquatch. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's out there. I know. I've seen Yeti plenty of times, man. No. Um, uh, has Tracy tried any loops or any VHF ops? Uh, no and no, and uh, I've I've always wanted to try a loop. To be honest, uh, I I. I uh, I, I want to try that. I also want to try a double bazooka. VHF ops, uh, uh, intriguing. And, and I've got the 897, of course, which will do uh, single sideband. So um, definitely something I can try going forward. Thank you for that uh, suggestion and question. Cool. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've, we're already 10 minutes over, but I'm happy to, to ask some of these questions after the presentation just to get to know a little bit more about you and and uh, just kind of off the off the presentation side of things, uh, Dan or Brian, any other questions before we wrap it up? None for me. All right. No, I I'm good. I don't have any more. 
Okay. Uh, I'll, I guess uh, yeah, once you find that uh, Yeti, you'll let us know, right, uh, Tracy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap it up then. Um, Tracy, do you have any parting thoughts for people? It sounds like the evangelical uh, five watt thing was uh, was driven home pretty hard. Anything else you want to <laughs> say before we leave? You know what? All I all I want to say is that um, HF portable is a lot of fun. If you're out there doing it, uh, you know, congratulations. Uh, you're, you're getting some fresh air, you're getting some exercise, you're stimulating your gray matter. If you're not doing it, please give it a try. Consider giving it a try. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's an amazing experience. It, it's a whole new dimension to ham radio. And uh, if you get into Parks on the Air, um, Parks on the Air is where you are the DX. And that is a completely, as, as Summits on the Air is, of course, um, that is something which, you know, most of us, at least, uh, you know, in, in the built up areas in, in, the, uh, in the modern countries in uh, Canada, US, uh, over in Europe, we were never the DX. Uh, but when you're operating one of those uh, POTA or soda, it's so much fun to try. Get out there, give it a shot. All right. Well, once again, we want to say thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on, uh, uh, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you guys haven't, to go ahead and sub subscribe to his channel. It is a fantastic channel. We didn't have a chance really to talk about some of the other things that he does besides just filming his portable ops. He has a great video on how, how to set up your settings on like a, a FT817 to to make it so it's more optimized for receiving and there's several just so much out there on his youtube channel that's all really good so thank you tracy for uh, for joining us thank you very much for the opportunity thank you guys at uh, red summit thank you to everybody who uh, who watched the video and uh, participated in the live stream i really appreciate it yep. okay well we'll catch you guys all later 73 73 <laughs>